This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is one that you and I have both been looking forward to. Andy Van Slyke. Andy Van Slyke, number 142 in the 1988 top set. On this card, Andy is on the Pirates. Yes, I'm pulling it up right here on the Jumbotron. He's in your very typical 1988 tops default swinging position uh, where you really can't see his face. <laughs> Matt, I have, a, I have a gripe about these, these <laughs> pictures. Maybe we are just spoiled with the number of photos that are now taken of of athletes, professional and otherwise. Andy Van Slyke was an exciting player, an exciting outfielder, made amazing catches, hit home runs, hit triples, and you just have this boring batting stance picture. This could be anybody on the Pirates. I could not tell who this person is. Yeah, it's it's very disappointing. It does not help get excitement. And he is a player that was one of my favorites while he was on the Pirates. I always liked looking for quotes of his. I always thought he was funny. He always gave really good you know, interviews and things like that. He was one that I was looking forward to catching. When he had a good game, you could feel that the team had high potential. While I was not a National League fan, I would watch some Cubs games. And actually, my the first time I went to Wrigley Field as a kid was against the Pirates. I played Little League, and my team was the Pirates. Mm-hmm. And so Andy Van Slyke and Barry Bonds and those guys were important players to maybe kind of emulate as we were the Pirates. Yeah. So if we flip to the back of the card, Andy Van Slyke was a right-handed thrower, but a left-handed batter. So Yes. And... Because he was fast and was a left-handed batter, he could, you know, leg out ground balls. He was fast. He would get doubles and triples. But as a kind of all-around outfielder and hitter, there's just a lot to appreciate. My memory of Andy Van Slyke was as a power and speed player, maybe not quite as good at either of those things as Eric Davis or others of, of that ilk. I remember him, you know, having some pop having some stolen bases, you know, particularly playing for those 80s Cardinals teams that stole a ton of bases. He was in that outfield stealing 30 plus bases in a season. But what's interesting in looking back at his stats is that he never hit more than 25 home runs. He only drove in 100 runs one time in his career. And I think his highest stolen base number was 34. Mm. So he wasn't quite the 30-30 number guy, but like you said, tons of triples, hitting for a decent average, and also just playing a very smooth center field and having a really great arm, getting a lot of outfield assists. Goes to his nickname, Slick. You know, Andy Van Slyke is a cool name. (laughs) It's a cool name. Slick is a cool nickname. Absolutely. The question came up of other guys with cool, more than two-word names. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brian, for suggesting this. One that I immediately thought of in another sport in soccer is Jan Venegor of Hesselink. That's one of the best, strongest names. That sounds like an old king. Yeah, it's an uh, excellent name. Norm Van Leer. Norm Van Leer, Bulls great. 
Uh, I'd go Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, that's a that's a good name. It's an excellent name. It's a strong name. So if anybody else has, uh, you know, Johnny Vandermeer is this old Cincinnati Reds player. Thinking of old-timey guys had some had some good names. But, yeah, good three-word names. If listeners have any suggestions, send them in. Uh, but, yeah, Andy Van Slyke is a good name. And like you said, he has some great quotes, particularly in his early time with the Pirates in the 80s. There's some really good quotes from him. He can also be kind of a doofus. So we'll get around to that. And particularly his more some of his more recent quotes coming out of his coaching time with the Mariners. He has said some dumb stuff, kind of some talk radio foolishness. Okay, David. So for this show... I think the best way for us to lay this out at this point is we'll go through we'll go through Andy Van Slyke's early career, then the, his trade to the Pirates and him joining the Pirates in 87 and the 87 year. And then we'll go through the, his time after 87 with the Pirates and lead to probably the darkest moment of the 1988 Tops uh, series, which is the day that I stopped being a Pirates fan. Oh, no. That's ominous, Matt. (laughs) And, yeah, so after that, then we'll, I think, probably get into Andy Van Slyke's recent doofery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. So, Matt, as you said, Andy was drafted in 1979 in the first round, straight out of high school. He was a high school All-American and was the sixth overall pick in the 1979 draft. Worked his way through the minors and was called up in 1983 to the Cardinals. That 1983 Cardinals team was coming off of the 1982 World Series win. So Andy was getting called into a team that was a legitimate power. They, in 1982, played... um, Whitey Ball. So Whitey Herzog, friend of the show, Whitey Herzog. (laughs) Um, Recurring character, Whitey Herzog. Whitey Ball included a lot of stolen bases, line drive base hits, solid pitching, solid defense, and not really having a power hitter. Those 80s teams consistently stole 200 bases. Last year, 2019, only seven teams had over 100 stolen bases. (laughs) The highest was 131. Ricky Henderson in 1982 for the A's stole 130 bases. So, you know, <laughs> the use of speed in the in 80s baseball was a lot more um, prevalent. And particularly Whitey Ball and those Cardinals teams, really fast, fun teams. 83, Cardinals are expected to do well again. They're in first place on June 15th, and they traded Keith Hernandez, who had been a star of the team in 82, and right around that same time, they brought Andy Van Slyke up from the minors. They went on a slide. They went 6-11 and 11 for the rest of June. And really, they didn't compete for the pennant that year. So Andy's 22, made his Major League debut in 1983. A solid rookie season, as you can see on the back of that card. He played in the outfield. He played kind of all over the place in his early seasons. And this brings us to one of those quotes the highlight of, of an Andy Van Slyke interview. The quote that Andy had about his adventures at third base, he had 25 starts at third base in each of his first two seasons. He said, they wanted me to play third base like Brooks, referencing Brooks Robinson. I did play like Brooks, Mel Brooks. <laughs> so Andy 
good for a dad joke. Yeah. You know, he also said about his early career, about his early call-ups, that his biggest problem in the major leagues is that he couldn't figure out how to spend $43 in meal money. (laughs) That is, to be fair, $43 is a lot of per diem. Yeah, I look to try to find out when that quote was made, because if that was 1983, $43 is a lot of food in it. Maybe it was for a week. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So Andy further establishes himself in 1984, has a little bit of speed, steals 28 bases in 84, but hits 244, so a little bit disappointing, but still a young player on this Cardinals team, further establishing himself as a regular member of of the Cardinals team. And this goes into 1985, the next great team of Whitey Herzog. This team stole 314 bases in 1985. The next highest team was 182. They had so much speed. They had Andy Van Slyke, uh, Willie McGee, Ozzie Smith, Vince Coleman stealing 100-plus bases. And that 85 team is, is mostly remembered for the 1985 series and the call. As Cardinals fans will certainly recall, was Don Denkinger calling Jorge Orta safe at first base. And it was a blown call in Game 6 of that World Series And it led to a kind of series of odd events. But interestingly, the winning run in that game six, after all this series of of odd incidences, Andy Van Slyke nearly gunned down the winning run in that game six. And if you watch the replay of it, Andy just has a cannon for an arm and he just missed it. So Andy losing playoff series seems to be a bit of a theme for Andy, as we'll get into later in his career. Going back to the fun fact on the back of Andy Van Slyke's card here, the this way to the clubhouse fun fact was that Andy was traded by the Cardinals to the Pirates with Mike Dunn and Mike Lavalier for Tony Pena, April 1st, 1987. Mike Lavalier, Spanky, the catcher for the Pirates for many seasons, I always liked quite a bit. But And Tony Pena, I do remember that as a kid, I was sad that Tony Pena wasn't on the Pirates anymore, that he had gone to the Cardinals. But Mike Lavalier ended up being a pretty reliable catcher, is, is how I recall this trade. So, Matt, while you were upset that Tony Pena got traded away, Tony Pena was an all-star, gold-glove catcher, and Pirates fans were upset. Jim Leland, coach of the Pirates, was also upset. He said he cried when Tony Pena left and called Tony Pena the best and most durable catcher in the game. Tony Pena was upset. It seems like nobody was happy with this trade. So it seemed like a kind of a, a difficult situation, both you know trading away important pieces of both teams. The Cardinals went on to go to the World Series in 1987, and Tony Pena had pretty strong NLCS and a pretty strong World Series for the Cardinals. He remained a solid defensive catcher, but not quite the offensive force that he was with the Pirates. I was actually kind of surprised in looking back at this trade at how good of an offensive catcher Tony Pena was for the Pirates and how he was consistently an all-star. Because I remember him being kind of a light-hitting, good defensive catcher. But going back to your point, Matt, how did this turn out for the Pirates? The 86 Pirates were pretty bad. They were 64 and 98. They were last in their division. They had a rookie in Barry Bonds. I think in the middle of 86, they also got Bobby Bonilla to come in and play third base. So now they're picking up three players from the Cardinals. As you said, Spanky, Mike Lavalier, 
He was a very solid defensive catcher, and he won a gold glove in 87. He also hit 300. Mike Dunn went to my wife's alma mater, Bradley University in Peoria. He went 13-6 and six as a rookie and finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting. Andy Van Slyke came to the Pirates, and he kind of said before that season that he was ready to bloom. He was ready to have his best year. So he's going into his age 27 season, typically a big year for players, and was already one of the better defensive outfielders in the National League. So he joins Barry Bonds in an outfield, both of whom great defensive players. Barry Bonds won multiple golden club multiple gold gloves, as did Andy Van Slyke. We can see as we go back to the back of this card that in 1987, Andy had the best season of his career. He hit 293, 36 doubles, 11 triples, 21 home runs, and 34 steals, and drove in 82 runs. So this is kind of creating the core of this Pirates team that going into the early 90s is going to be a force and win three straight three straight division championships. The Pirates that year went 80 and 82, much better than their their last place finish. Andy described the difference between the Cardinals and Pirates locker room, saying that in the Cardinals locker room, everybody would be reading the business section to see what their stocks were doing. And when he went to the Pirates, everybody's looking at the sports page to see if Hulk Hogan won. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's great. Moving into the 1988 season, the 88 Pirates were kind of taking that next step. And Andy was also taking that next step. They had a much more consistent lineup in 1988. As Andy described it, he said, last year we had so many people coming in and out. They didn't bother to sew the names on the back of the uniforms. They just put them there in Velcro. (laughs) So by 88, they have now Andy Vance Lycan center, Barry Bonds in left. And they have a kind of platoon going on in right field, but many fewer players than they had in 87. And Andy went on to have, to have a great year. He made his first of three All-Star games. He led the league in triples. He hit 25 home runs and had 30 steals. He also won the first of five straight Golden Gloves and the first of two Silver Slugger awards and finished fourth in MVP voting. So 88, big year for Andy. The Pirates are starting to turn it around. 89, however, was pretty bad. In our Andy quotes, he said that he had an Alka-Seltzer bat. He said, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. When the pitcher sees me walking up, they say, oh, what a relief it is. Oh, my gosh. So 1989 (laughs) was a rough season. He was the Alka-Seltzer bat for pitchers. He hit 237 that year. Yeah, not good at all. Still won a gold glove, but had a really bad year at the plate. We also, in 1989, have a Randy Reddy appearance. Ooh. Randy Reddy, 1988 Tops podcast, your number one source of Randy Reddy news. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, we're going to do a, an episode on Greg Harris. Greg Harris could throw with both hands. Hmm. He was a pitcher, and he could pitch with both hands. And Van Slyke asked the third base coach, why does he have a glove like that? Because he could switch his his glove from hand to hand, depending on what hand he was throwing with. Randy Reddy overheard the question and said, because he's amphibious. (laughs) To which Van Slyke replied, does that mean he can throw underwater? 
it's Randy Reddy thinking he knows the right word, doesn't get it quite right. And Andy Vance like knowing the right word, making the good dad joke. So I think it's excellent. Another Andy Vance like dad joke. <laughs> 89, that, that seems to have been the highlight of his 89 season. <laughs> um, gold, gold glove, good dad joke. Nice. Then moving into the the much better part of Andy's career and the much better part of the Pirates' history, the the Pirates go on a streak of winning National League East titles and playing in the playoffs in 1990, 91, and 92. The core of that team is Andy Vance-like, Barry Bonds winning two MVP awards in those seasons, Bobby Bonilla, Jay Bell, Jose Lind, yes. Mike Lavalier, Doug Drabeck. Andy was solid in those seasons in 90 and 91. His speed and power fell off a little bit, but still won gold gloves in both of those seasons. In 1990, the Pirates lost in the playoffs in six games to the eventual World Series champ Cincinnati Reds. That was a a good series too, a good NLCS, and four of those six games were decided by one run. 1991, again, the Pirates have another great season, win the NL East, and expected to win the NLCS playing against a Braves team that went from worst to first in 1991. The Pirates were up three games to two and lost the last two games of that 1991 NLCS at home, getting shut out in both of those games. And this, you know, this very potent Pirates offense, as we already talked about, went 22 innings without scoring a run. Yeah, yeah. So this gets to some lingering frustration, David. So being a fan from afar, so being a Pirates fan because my father had grown up in Pittsburgh, but never living in Pittsburgh after age five, I was always watching this team from afar. And we've talked before about how in the 80s and early 90s that you couldn't watch baseball every day. So when the playoffs come, like every game you can see and these players who I liked so much, they stunk so bad in the playoffs this whole time. Van Slyke and Benia and Bonds, these guys were so bad in the 90 and 91 season. So they batted, they batted 190 in 1990 and only 200 in 1991. And time after time in the series with the Reds and both series with the Braves, there would be times with really chances for chances for a clutch hit to break a game open and bonds was so bad so i'm looking here van slyke and bonds in 1991 combined hit 153 that that's insanely bad for your best players and so it was very disappointing uh very disappointing i have a slightly different take in that in my young life, I did not see the team that I liked play in the playoffs. The Chicago White Sox made the playoffs in 1983. I was too young to, to watch that. The playoffs gave me uh, a chance to kind of pick another team. I liked the Pirates, so being able to watch the Pirates, I was also excited to see them. And similarly disappointed, maybe without quite as much of the hurt. The Pirates kind of remain that team for three straight seasons and for three straight seasons were sad and disappointing. Like you said, Andy had a very disappointing 1990 and 1991 playoffs at the plate. 
he hit 208 in 1990 and 160 in 1991. Yeah, horrible. At the time, there was also the expectation that after the 1992 season, this team was not going to be together anymore. As it was after 1991, Bonilla left, signed a big contract, was making $6 million a year with the Mets, a a salary that the Pirates couldn't afford in in a small market. After the 1992 season, the Pirates were going to lose their star pitcher in Doug Drabeck to free agency, and Barry Bonds was going to leave. The Pirates couldn't afford to keep him. So going into that 1992 season, the last chance for the Pirates and this great Pirates team to win something. I'm going to take it from here, David. So okay. I'll chime in. I'll chime in. Yeah. I'm going to go get a drink. I'm going to go. <laughs> Pour me one too. I mean, the short of it is that they did it. I mean, they went 96 and 66, had a fantastic season. Andy Van Slyke had probably the best offensive season he had, he had had so far, hit 324. He led the league with 199 hits. He had 45 doubles. Only 14 homers, but he did have 12 triples, so the speed is still there, and he won another gold glove. He was fourth in the MVP voting. Bonds wins the MVP, and they go into the playoffs with the rematch against the Braves. And although they went down three games to one, Pittsburgh wins game five at home, and then game six in Atlanta, 13 to four. So the momentum is in their favor going into game seven. The Pirates are leading 2-0 going into the bottom of the ninth inning. The Pirates have Doug Drabeck, the ace, the 1990s Cy Young Award winner. He's on the mound. He's carrying the shutout. It's going into the bottom of the ninth inning. They're up two runs. What could go wrong? And I'm 15 years old, and I'm watching this in the basement of my house. My dad is watching upstairs. I did not want to watch this in the same room as anybody. (laughs) So now at this point, David, I'm looking I need to look off of notes because I have remembered this and misremembered this very emotional time many different times in my life. So Terry Pendleton leads off the bottom of the ninth with a double. And then David Justice hits a ground ball right at Jose Lind, who we'll talk about in a future episode. Jose Lind, who was a gold glove winning. The gold glove winning second Second baseman. baseman. It goes through his legs. So Pendleton doesn't score, but he makes it to third. And Justice then goes to first. And so the Braves, so there's men on first and third, nobody out. And so Drabeck walks ex-pirate Sid Bream to load the bases with no outs. Ron Gant comes up. And he lines out to left field for the first out, and Pendleton tags and scores to make it 2-1. So now there is runners on first and second with one out. Then, for some reason, the closer, Stan Belinda, who's been brought in when they pulled the Dre back, he walks the next guy on five pitches, Damon Berryhill, to make it even Cubs wor- legend Damon Cubs Berryhill. Cubs legend Damon Berryhill. So now the bases are loaded, and and... The Braves are only down 2-1. This is absolute torture. So then up comes Francisco Cabrera. This is a name that lives in infamy for Pirates fans because Francisco Cabrera is like a backup first baseman. He is someone you've never heard of before and would never hear of afterwards, at least as far as I'm concerned, as 15-year-old me. Who is this guy? Never heard of him. Pinch hitter. And he comes in and 
He hits a line drive to left field and David Justice scores from third. But Sid Bream, who is the former pirate and had had six knee surgeries by the time uh, that he played that game, he actually scores all the way from second. Barry Bonds throws a terrible throw and the Braves win. They go to the World Series. It's a walk-off. It's, it's absolutely devastating. And at that point, I said, I'm done with this. I'm done being a Pirates fan. This is garbage. And that was it. And until I started going to Cubs games, you know, after graduating college and moving to Chicago, I basically had no enjoyment from baseball from the, <laughs> this day in 1992 until... Until probably the 2000 season. So there you go, David. There's my rant. Well, I, if it makes you feel any better, Sid Bream was also uh, sad that he was not on the Pirates. He was a, yeah. a, a Pennsylvania guy, played for the Pirates from 85 to 1990. He has a kid named Austin Leland Bream, named after Jimmy Leland. He cried when the Pittsburgh Pirates didn't make him an offer in 1990. But I think that it also was a bit of sweet justice for him that that he was able to score that run. Andy Van Slyke has an explanation of how this happened. Let's hear it. Andy and Barry Bonds in that outfield, both gold glove winning outfielders. Barry Bonds is hugging the line in left field. Andy claims that he told Barry Bonds, left fielder, to move closer to center field. Supposedly... According to Andy, the response that he got from from Barry Bonds was a single finger. <laughs> so Barry Bonds, had he listened to this, this supposed advice from Andy Van Slyke, would have been in a better position to make the play on the ball that Francisco Cabrera hit. So Andy Van Slyke is convinced that this is all Barry Bonds' fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, in a question, why didn't Bonds just move in? Andy said, because he's a (laughs) fill in the blank. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Expletive deleted. Yes. And yes, it was bleeped by his, by Andy's request. Yeah. Good, good call. Andy and Bonds didn't have a great relationship. Bonds referred to Andy Van Slyke as the great white hope Mm. and believed that the Pirates organization preferred Andy Van Slyke because of the color of his skin. Barry said that the Pirates didn't try hard enough to keep Bobby Bonilla because he was black and that they never would have let Andy Van Slyke go the way that they let Bonilla go. I'm not sure I entirely buy that argument. The Mets made a ridiculous offer to Bobby Bonilla, which we now see as Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid a million dollars every year. So if, you know, if Andy Van Slyke had his way, Matt, you would still be a Pirates fan. Yeah. You wouldn't have had so many years of missing out on bad Pirates baseball. <laughs> you, you, actually, oh, darn. you know, that's probably a good transition here because in 1993, your first year of not being a Pirates fan, Barry Bonds is gone. Andy Van Slyke makes the 1993 All-Star game, but also broke his collarbone running into a wall at Bush Stadium. Yikes. By 1995, Andy's out of Major League Baseball. He retired in 1995 after recurring injury problems, including some back problems, attempted a comeback in 1997 with the Cardinals, and was hitting over 500 in spring training. 
And then he tore a calf muscle and the comeback was over. So he tries the comeback in 97. That doesn't work. Let's talk about his post-playing career and where he is now. Matt, after Andy's playing career in 2006, Jim Leland was coaching the Detroit Tigers and brought in Andy Van Slyke to be a first base coach. He served as a first base coach from 2006 to 2009. And in that process, you know, he got into a fight with Ozzie Guillen, (laughs) another guy who has a history of saying stupid and homophobic things. Ozzie Guillen was yelling at one of his players in the dugout. Andy Van Slyke said, if my coach had done that, I'd have punched him in the face. And Van Slyke (laughs) said that, that Ozzy was a, quote, typical Latin baseball player. And that the perception is that Latinos are hot-headed. So a little bit of racial stereotyping from Andy. Guillen, I thought, kind of got the last laugh in this one. He said, that's why he's coaching first base and I'm managing in the big leagues. <laughs> he also said, I'm, I'm going to manage in the big leagues longer than he's going to be a first base coach. Which, to Ozzy's credit... True. Thus far is true. <laughs> Ozzy lasted seven or eight seasons in the bigs. Andy did four in Detroit and two in Seattle. A- Andy wrote a book about his time with the Tigers, and I believe this is the first entry in the 1988 Tops Book Club. Mm-hmm. You read yes, part of this? and I did. I did. I, I'm going to admit that I didn't read a whole lot of it, because it was not at all interesting. It's called Tigers Confidential, the untold story inside the 2008 season. And to be fair uh, to myself in getting it, I thought, okay, well, I'll get this. I'll read it. I don't really remember what happened in the 2008 season. But if he wrote a book about it and the untold story, then the Tigers must have done pretty well. So he co-writes this book with a... A newspaper reporter from a Detroit newspaper and this book is terrible it's so boring because what ends up happening in this season is that the Tigers make an early trade for Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis who are supposed to be then pieces great hitting and pitching pieces to take them to the next level and make them a, a, a contender in 2008 And as it turns out, they do horribly and finish in last place. And so who cares, right? The, you know, the pitching staff all gets fired. A lot of players from the team get let go. And so it's really not that interesting a book to read about a team that has these high hopes and ends up, you know, crashing. I did not yet give it a rating uh, on the Kindle, but I'm probably going to give it only three stars. (laughs) <laughs> that well that that trade you know while Willis didn't work out Miguel Cabrera undeniably did work out in Detroit you know he's he, he won a triple crown in 2012 maybe not in 2008 but that trade has has worked out so maybe Andy just needed some more time and he didn't last much longer after that he left that team in 2009. He also wrote a fiction book, and I have not yet read this book. I plan to. I'll revisit this at a later date. But the book is called The Curse. Cubs win. Cubs win. Or do they? Oh, God. Written in 2010, this is a fictional account of the Chicago Cubs and their journey from a tragic plane crash to a World Series victory. 
Oh my god. That sounds horrible. I don't know. It's gotten a couple decent reviews, but it's interesting. I don't know that either of the guys who wrote it are Chicagoans. Mm. And particularly when you have Andy Van Slyke, best known for his connection with much-hated St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. For Andy to be writing about Cubs history and a tragic plane crash involving all of the Cubs players, it's rough. It's rough. So yeah. I'll read that and I'll report back to the pod. Sounds great. I Godspeed. <laughs> Andy was later hired on as a first base coach for the Mariners in 2014 and 2015. And after getting fired in November of 2015, he went on St. Louis radio and just kind of singled out a bunch of players. He really went after Robinson Cano and claimed that Robinson Cano was responsible for all of these people in management losing their jobs in Seattle. In Looking back, it seems really bizarre. You know, Cano had a rough first half of the 2015 season, but it turns out that he was battling some injury issues and illnesses and the death of his grandfather, and he had a great second half of the season. So it, it's a really bizarre interview that I've read speculation that Vance Like may have been drunk while doing this interview. It's a really weird interview that also goes into uh, Dodgers kind of inside baseball, and his son was playing on the Dodgers at the time. Mm. So really kind of self-serving and willing to call people out in ways that don't really make much sense and may have kind of torpedoed future chances for him to be a big league manager. Mm-hmm. So Andy's a spokesman for Nugenics, which is a testosterone product. And in these ads that will not be posted in the show notes, Andy looks really ripped. <laughs> so he's clearly doing a good job of staying in shape. Great job. Andy also has weird glasses, which will be posted in the show notes. He has weird gray glasses and kind of looks like a robot. <laughs> so David, to wrap up this fallout from the failure of the of the pirates in 1991 to get through get to the world series really made me understand that this was kind of the first time in my life when i gave up on a team even though it was my dad's team and i did it because i said you know what i don't even have to watch them anymore like i can do other things like i can just focus on high school and that's kind of what I ended up doing. And while I stuck being a Steelers fan, even though they had good times and bad, this was kind of the first time in my life when I decided, oh, I don't even need to be a Pirates fan anymore uh, and kind of took ownership for my life in some very small way. And so this was, although it was a time of great pain, it was also a time where I felt like I gained independence. Matt, as we've previously said, you you made the the right choice in choosing that time (laughs) yeah so from that time if we fast forward when was the next year the pirates had a winning season so the the next from 1993 until 2013 the pirates never had a winning season yeah so i think i made the right choice yes you made the right decision in calling it quits with the pirates in 1992 well thank you thank you for that Thank you to you at home for listening. If you have a team that has broken your heart, 
and that has made you wanted to question your life choices and you'd like us to talk about it here on the 1988 Tops podcast, please reach out. We're on Twitter at Tops1988 or at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.